Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Thank you, Brother Greg. Thank you so much. I'll tell you, I appreciate you. I appreciate our worship team. I appreciate that from week to week and from time to time, they bring us to the very throne of grace. Well, I'll tell you what, it's good to see each and every one of you this morning. I wish you all could see what I'm seeing because it looks like we've got a bunch of people here from the Witness Protection Program. They're all, uh, they're all sort of anonymous. We've all got our masks on. I'll tell you, if you're not coming to Glasgow Baptist Church, you need to be here. I don't care what church you're a member of because you're not going to come to a Baptist church uh, very long at a time or almost any time, but what they receive an offering, and we're not even taking an offering. How do you like that? I'll tell you, you ought to be here. It's something uh, to see and something to experience. But the greatest thing to experience is what we've already experienced in this service. And that is the presence of God in our life and the challenge of God in our life and uh, the sense that uh, we are coming into the presence of God and look to the presence of God I hope I've pressed the right button and the trap door opens up, I'll be gone. But uh, uh, the presence of God is what we're looking for and what we so desperately need in our lives. Let's anticipate that God will speak, especially to men, to dads, to fathers, in this message this morning. I want you to pray for me as uh, we pray together. And so let's do stand this morning. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I come to stand with you in this time, not above you. I come to stand uh, for uh, what uh, the truth of the Scripture is and what Jesus Christ is as truth, for what God is as truth, for that is his very nature. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning as we stand in this time. Each year we come to honor our fathers on this day, and so we come many times, Lord, with uh, regret. We come sometimes with sadness. We come sometimes, Lord, with uh, great thankfulness for the fathers we have and those we have had in our life. I pray a blessing upon those men. I thank you for them. I pray, Father, that this morning we might be stirred by your word to be better men of God and therefore better fathers. Bless me as we preach this morning, Lord. We pray if we say anything good, we ask you, Lord, to let that be to your glory. May people hear you, any of the bad to mind. I can be confusing. I can chase rabbits. But Lord, I pray you'll help us to be focused and may your Holy Spirit focus your message to change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn with me into Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the 17th chapter. Jeremiah is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. He has many good things to say. In fact, uh, I probably won't point it out, but in this passage this morning, you'll hear echoed what Paul says in his uh, letter to the Romans, I believe. You'll hear some of the New Testament in, in this passage this morning. Jeremiah 17, <clears throat> and let's begin with the fifth verse this morning. Jeremiah 17, 5. 
says the Lord, Cursed man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he'll be like a bush in the desert and he will not see when prosperity comes but he will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by the stream. And he will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. As a partridge that hatches eggs which it has not laid, so is he who makes a fortune, but unjustly. In the midst of his days it will forsake him, and in the end he will be a fool. Men, God is watching us. God is looking at us. God, our Father in heaven, like any father, stands on the sidelines of our life as your father may have stood on the sidelines when you participated in sports, and he is watching our every move. He is there to encourage. He is there to correct. He is there to judge. He's there to be our coach, but rest assured that God cares about how we are performing and what we are doing in this life. It is of utmost importance to Him. And many times it is the Lord in our life who is cheering us on and encouraging us. So we cannot live disconnected from God. We cannot live disconnected from God but invested in our culture. We have to first of all have Jesus Christ as our Lord. We'll wind up in the desert. We may have great riches. We may have great fame. We may be satisfied with all of our positions that society would demand. But ultimately in our own heart and in our own life and in the lives of our family we find ourselves with great wealth and fabulous ideas. But we're in a desert. In a place where there is only salt. It's dry. It is not life-giving. But the Lord says in this passage, that's not what I desire for men. And why? Because it is not what any society needs. What we need now is men of profound character. What we need in our nation is men of profound character. We need Christian men of profound character. I'm not talking about when you check off your political beliefs. I'm not impressed. My father, and I won't talk about my dad very much. In fact, I didn't have anything in here about my dad, but it occurred to me this. When I, when I look at my father, he was a member of a political party, which he was in for, I guess, all of his life, all the life I knew him, but that did not define his character. He agreed and he disagreed. He also agreed and disagreed with those on the other side. In church, 
He knew men whom he loved. He agreed with them sometimes. He disagreed with them sometimes. They were still brothers in Christ. It was a reflection of his character. When you went and talked to my dad about race, as I did in the 1960s, my dad presented to me each side of the case. He told me what he thought about it, some of what he thought was wrong, but he told me what he thought about it and why he thought about it, and that came out of his character, of the depth of who he was, and ultimately it came out of what he thought God's Word had said, and it also came out of the fact that his own relationship with Jesus Christ had built in him a depth of character that I call being profound that affected me all of my life. And I don't always agree with my dad in every position he had. But when I come on this day and think about the men that I admire, it is the men of great character. Whether I agree with them or not, they have a profundity of their character, a solid, a basis of what they believe. I've been in Barron County about 40 years, not associated with Glasgow Baptist Church until the last couple of years. But I want to tell you, in this community and the testimony of this church, I have known men for the 40 years that I've been here who were members of Glasgow Baptist Church, and some of them are members right now in Glasgow Baptist Church, and I have admired, whether I agreed with everything they did or not, I have admired their Christian character because they stood out of a deep relationship with Jesus Christ and a study of His Word, and they stood and attracted ideas and people. They stood solid on what they knew of God and what they knew of who he was, and that determined who they were. And that's life-changing. That's community-affecting. That's world-shaking. When you have men of character in your church. I don't know of a time that we do not need character more than we need it now. I don't know of a time when we need fathers, and I'm not talking about this politically. I, I, I'm not talking about it politically. It, my dad never believed any politician. <laughs> I mean, he never believed any of them. Uh, he always knew that what they were doing was to get reelected, and that had nothing to do with what they were actually going to do when he got in office. He always looked at a man's character, who they really were, who was it, in the spiritual sense that they really knew. Let me tell you what's the problem today. It's not who you vote for in November. It's that we in society are doing what we have been warned about for years now, and that is that we have a truth that is relative. Truth is not profound. Our society does not agree on what ultimate truth is. And when that happens, I guarantee you that everything else will begin to crumble and go away. Oh, I'll tell you what, Christians and the church can exist in the midst of hell. In fact, I want to remind you that Jesus said, I want you to be the church, and I, I'll tell you the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What does that mean? That we're living up here in some heavenly bliss? No, that means we're battling hell every day and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're not talking about 
uh, the fact that we're not engaged in society, that we're not, but we are talking about that what we approach it from is a, a profound knowledge of God and a profound relationship with God which develops our character which we pass on to our children. Okay, that's it. Let's go home. <laughs> that's really it. In 1968, I was 15 years old, and I'll tell you what, people say, oh, I've just never seen a worse time. Well, I have. In 1968, I thought this country was going to come apart. But in a day, in today, the challenge we live in, men, is that we live in a greater challenge than that, not because of what's going on in the news or the news is reporting on, we live in a greater challenge not because of the coronavirus. We live in a greater challenge because we, as Amos talked about, have a famine in the land. And it's not a famine of bread or of water or of uh, PPE or of meat or of toilet paper. The famine is we do not hear the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you what, that's not about the preachers because I think the preachers have gone crazy. I'm going to just tell you right now, it's up to us right here at Glasgow Baptist Church. Because that's the only one I'm talking to this morning. If I was at Temple Hill, I'd say the same thing. And Scott and you and I are out at the airport and we're sitting around with our friends talking and this subject come up, I'd say it's the same thing. It's in this group right here. Sitting right here in these chairs. It's up to us. So what will we be? What is this passage telling us to be? I think it's kind of summarized down here in verse 7. I'm reading from the New American Standard. I like the New American Standard because when the, New, the translators who translated the New American Standard said we're to try to make it as literal as possible, but we're going to try to not. In, we're going to try to interpret as the least we can. I don't want to get started here, but every translation is an interpretation, including the King James Version. This is why I hold my Bible up and say I have the inspired Word of God. I believe it's the Bible God gave me. The problem is we don't read it. Verse seven in the New American Standard says, "Blessed is the man." who trust in the Lord. Here's the key. Whose trust is the Lord. Think about that. In the Holman translation, which is the one Southern Baptist did recently, it says, confidence is the Lord. King James Version, whose hope the Lord is. It sounds like Yoda's talking, but it's not. They're saying, they're saying very definitely, hope is is the definition of God. Good translation. New International Version, I like least, says whose confidence is in him. There's a difference in those. I think mine and the other translations are closer to what Jeremiah was trying to say. Trust is God. What in the world do you mean by that? Do you remember when John in the New Testament said, God is love? Now, did he mean that uh, 
God's just love. Anything that's love is God. No. Did he mean that God wasn't judgment, that God couldn't be angry? No. He certainly didn't mean that God's just permissible of anything that goes on. He just loves you, loves you, loves you, and that's it. He's saying you can't know God and not know his love. Therefore, you cannot be a person who hates his own brother. Jesus echoed the same in different terms. And when Jeremiah says what he says, he says his trust is God. In other words, the foundation on which he builds his life is that God is so trustworthy by his very nature and character that man can be trusted because his trust is in God who is trust, who is that firm foundation. I'll tell you something. We need men whose trust is God. Not just men who are trustworthy, there are a lot of men who are trustworthy to do what they want to do selfishly. There are a lot of men who are trustworthy who will get on social media or who have jobs in the media or who get jobs in Congress or the Senate or in the White House. And they are trustworthy. You always know what they're going to say. You always know what's going to be. You know what's going to come out of their mouth. But what comes out of their mouth oftentimes is not out of God's Word and it is not by any means what you could actually say is the, is, the, is the nature of God himself. Why is that important? That's important because I'm going to tell you, as Brother Greg has already brought us to this morning in the Word of God and by singing, because what we are is what we pass on to our children. You cannot leave it up to your wife. Nothing wrong with your wife. Nothing wrong with womanhood. Yeah, I could turn around and preach this message to women. You need to be women of character, of strength. Why? Because what you are, you pass to your child. It always works that way. It has always worked that way. God tells the children of Israel, I want you to do this in your home. I want your home to look like this. I want you to say these things. This is what I want you to teach your children. Why? Because they will forget. Because character is something that you pass on. It's something that you look at and emulate in your lives. It establishes landmarks, GPS coordinates, if you will, in the lives of your children. And, and I just can't think of a time when we need more of that in our world right now to see Christian integrity and character. What does that look like? Well, there are a lot of, good, there are a lot of examples in the culture. You know, I see a lot of examples out there that talks about what men need to be as warriors. <laughs> warriors. And I see these men do what they're going to do and they're well, they're warriors. They're going to defend their family and do one thing and another. Well, you know, that's true to a certain degree, but I think about warriors, and I think about that particular uh, idea of what manhood is, and, and I think about the old uh, uh, movies that I used to watch on television, the Kung Fu movies, and, and they, had in them a, uh, they had in them a samurai. And I'd watch these samurai. They were warriors, Scott. They were warriors. They had their sword and everything in. They were always mad. 
It was like watching a, it was like watching a wrestling match in, in uh, the WWF. It was, it was like watching, always mad. They were mad at somebody. And they'd talk to each other. And I'd think, man, these guys are mad. They're mad all the time. And I'd think to myself, what are they like when they go home? I imagine in my mind, you know, my mind's a little bit warped. I imagined in my mind that when they go home and they sit down in their lazy boy recliner and they're sitting there with their sword and of course they're in their armor and their little child comes to them because their mother sent them to them and he wants to know, can I go over to the neighbor's house and play? Does this samurai turn to his child and go, little child goes off, goes back to mother and said, what did he say? He said, to ask your mommy. In other words, his character is always distorted. Now, samurai weren't that way, by the way. Uh, you read about samurai in history. I've read very little, but I've read some, and I know that they were not that way with their families. They weren't like the Spartans. They were not uh, separated from their families and their wives and their children. They, they were human beings. But the caricature of the samurai in the movie is a distortion. And sometimes what we see in the media is a distortion of our own lives. So what are we as men? Well, we have a profound character that's powerful, the Word of God says, like a tree that's planted by the water. It becomes a landmark. It becomes a place that generationally you can go to. You go there as a child. You go there as a young adult. You go there as an older adult. And you were there with that father, that man in your life, who is a landmark. You can be anywhere in the territory and look around and find your bearings because you say, well, there's the top of that tree over there. It's planted by the water. I'll go back there. Let me go back and reflect. Let me go back and think about what it is that God is saying to me. Bible teacher one time said that God's character the knowledge of who he is personally is not like a rushing mountain stream, but it's like a river that moves. Powerfully, it moves. I was up in Owensboro one time for a meeting. I was staying there at a hotel on the river, and before I had to go to the meeting, I said, well, I'm going to walk down to the river. And so it was a bigger challenge than I thought. This place was uh, a place that uh, barges uh, uh, docked, or they didn't dock, there was no dock there, but there was uh, peerings there, moorings there. That they... So I got down, I walked down and down, I got down and looked like they'd just thrown big slabs of concrete out there. I got on one of those and I stood out there at the Ohio River. Couldn't hear the noise of Owensboro behind me. All I could sense was the river, and it was a sense. I stood there quietly, and I'm telling you, it was something I could hear, that water moving. Now, the movement of the water was only uh, designated by the fact that I saw things moving by, but there was a noise every once in a while with something barely swirling around that concrete slab I was standing on. But I'm telling you, when I stood down at the edge of the Ohio River, I stood in a presence. Well, you guys like to duck hunt. 
why you like the turkey hunt. You get out in nature and you stand and you feel that presence. It was a presence there. I thought a little while and thought about all the suspended dirt that was in that river and I thought about if I had to move that much dirt how much equipment would be working out there and for how long would it work just to move the dirt that's suspended in that river from one side to the other. I thought about you could put a hydroelectric plant down here somewhere and dam that river up and the power of that river would light up a city or two. We need men like that who have presence. Brother Greg, presence. Profound presence in their life. I could sense it. I could feel it. We need men who give themselves to the deep wisdom of God. His precepts of righteousness. And if we don't, we will adopt as men something crazy, something that makes us feel good but doesn't help our family or only becomes a thin veneer over our lives that our children see through. Men of exceptional character. And I hurry on. Second thing, we need men of exceptional love. And Brother Greg, I'm glad you read the passage you did because my passage this morning is part of that only different in Ephesians 5. The Lord says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself, the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we're members of his body. We need examples of men who are examples in their character of exceptional love. And I don't think the Bible makes any bones about this. That's represented by the fact of how a man loves his wife. Full stop. How you love your wife, I guarantee you, is what you pass on to your children. The greatest gift you can give your children is a man, a husband, who they look at that man and say, he loved my mother. And that's my goal. It's our divine assignment that we love our wives. We give ourselves to them. God's watching. He's on the sidelines urging us on. He shows us the example in how he loves Glasgow Baptist Church. Grady Nutt said that he and his wife ran into some marital difficulties after a while in their marriage. The honeymoon was over and they uh, began to experience what life was 
the strains and stress of seminary and of jobs and so forth and so on and they got to a little marital difficulty and so they went to a marriage counselor and Grady Nutt in his book So Good So Far says it didn't take the marriage counselor long to figure out what was wrong and what was wrong is that we both were in love with the same person me he said <laughs> you wives may say I, I know him I know him Grady found out some things about himself and about God's love and what he was supposed to be. He talks about that in that book. You know, women today, they watch the Hallmark Channel. Oh, and they love it. Cindy loves it. She says to me, now, Michael, I know it's the same old plot over and over, and she'll sit down, and I'll sit down with her and watch it for a while, and she'll say, now, I can tell you what's going to happen. That guy right there is going to do this, and this woman's going to say this, and she says, I, I don't care. I, I watch it anyway. I just, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's I, I get it. Boy, it's hard sometimes, isn't it, guys? <laughs> you know, you come in, she's watched the Hallmark Channel. Now, it's not so bad if she's watched that one plot that's in the Hallmark Channel where the woman loves and, oh, she just loves, but what the guy does is he runs off with her best friend, and then he spent all her money, and he's mean to her kids. It's not so hard to come in the door, and uh, she's just watched that movie. You look pretty good. But lands, I tell you, guys... When she's watched that movie where, you know, the guy comes in, he might be rich and he might be poor, but I'm telling you, that guy, he loves this woman, and it's usually the woman whose husband has run off and been bad and mean and all that. And, and it comes in this guy, I tell you what, he falls in love with her, and she's reluctant, of course. He falls in love with her, and I'll tell you what, he knows her every need. He anticipates what it is that she might want. There it is almost before she asks for it. He's listening to her. His attention is focused on her. He sacrifices things in his own life in order that she might be better off. Oh, and by the way, it doesn't matter where he takes her. I'm telling you, he can take that woman to a cold snowbank without a coat and give her hot chocolate, and because of who that guy is, she thinks she's in the finest restaurant in Paris, France. Oh, it's glorious. You come in and your wife's watched that and you think, my goodness, if that is the expectation of what I have, what I'm going to do is go to my office and turn on a movie. <laughs> Makes you feel better, doesn't it? <laughs> I tell you guys, I'm talking about the example you have for your children. What your kids need to see. It's not somebody who loves like on a Hallmark movie. They need to see somebody who loves their mother like God loves the church. Let's don't talk too closely about Glasgow Baptist Church, but we know that sometimes everything we've done and said has not been good. But God has not abandoned us. We know that in every case, as we look back upon our history, that in every case, whether we made the wrong step or the right step, God was there if we will look to guide us where he wants us to be. Here's the key. A man loves his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In the first place, you can give yourself to your wife, but not like Christ gave himself to the church unless Christ lives in you.
our children need to see that the husband loves and honors his wife. You say, she's not very honorable. Well, you know, <laughs> the Bible says that the Lord loves the church so much he's going to present her to himself without spot or blemish. And I can tell you from what I see on QVC, any man that would love his wife so she wouldn't have wrinkles is a man who she's going to follow. I can guarantee you that. You know what I'm really saying by that? I'm really saying that you'd love your wife like she is, and I'll tell you what, I'll bet you she'll become who she needs to be in Christ if you will show her the love and devotion that God has shown you in Christ. That's about your character. I want my stepchildren to know that I love their mother, Cindy. Cindy isn't hard to love. She's got the big job. But I want my stepchildren to know that I love their mother, that I, when I married her, that I gave myself for her. I want my daughter to know, and we've had many talks about this, that I have deep respect for her mother. Deep respect. And I'll tell you, if you knew her like I knew her, you would have deep respect. And sometimes as a father, I have to say, hold on, little gal. Hold on. Here's where we're at. That's the character. Last but not least, we need to be men of presence in, our, in the lives of our family. It's our children's greatest asset. You remember the song, Cats in the Cradle, by Harry Chapin and Sandy, his wife? You know how it starts out? The child arrives just the other day. He came in the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it, and as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son. You know, we'll have a good time then. It goes on, he gets older, a little older in college. Oh, what a man he's become. Needs the car keys, please. He's gone. He's successful in business. And then the man comes to this place, I've long since retired and my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, oh, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking. It's been nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. The cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue, and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. Too many successful men have climbed the ladder of success, as someone has said, and found out it was leaning against the wrong wall. 
I'm acquainted when I came to Glasgow, Barron County, 40 years ago with a man that I greatly admired. and I always felt he had strength of character. As I got to know him, it was Christian character. He said to me, the biggest mistake I made in my life, out of my very bitter divorce, I thought that my children, small then, did not want to be with me, and so I separated myself from my family in those circumstances. It's the greatest mistake I've made in my life. I almost did not realize it until it was too late. Sam Walton, who certainly was a busy man, used to take his family on a camping trip for a month. They went all over the country. And they said they always appreciated that no matter how busy their dad was, he spent quality time with us. You know, there are soldiers and truck drivers that can't be with their family all the time. You may be a business owner, and frankly, it's demanding a lot of your time. But if Sam Walton can do it, I think we can. We may not be able to take a month, but he spent quality time. Now, his kids testify in his biography. Dad, when he went all these places, would spend some of those days going around to the various stores that he owned or that he was a manager over. But he said, you know, we never thought that as dad working because he took us with him. And we just saw him as spending time with us. You remember Adam in the Garden of Eden? They've messed up royally. And in the, in the quiet of the evening, in the cool of the evening, the Bible says he comes walking through, God does. Obviously, he'd done it many times before. It's obvious from reading Genesis that he'd talked to Adam many times before. He comes to him this time with a question, Adam, where are you? He knew where he was. Did Adam know? God's presence with you has been important since the beginning of time. God wants to have fellowship with you. God wants to plant you besides that river of his strength and his life to affect your family and your children. One of the most beautiful stories in the New Testament and most reflective of who God is, in this in closing, is the story of the prodigal son. You know the story. It's going on right now in some of your lives. It's gone on for years sometimes. It's going on all over Barron County and in Glasgow right now. The child is rebellious and doesn't want to live as the parents live. And this guy, in dad's permission, he gives him his part of the estate, and he goes away. And then he gets in a terrible shape. And he comes home. And the picture is that his dad sees him coming from a long way off. You think he just happened to glance down that road that day? You think he had some kind of foreknowledge? I don't. I think that that guy loved his son so much that he looked every day in hopes that that boy would come home. And he sees him from afar off and recognizes who he is. And he runs to meet him. And he welcomes him back with a big party. God wants to have presence with you. And he wants you to have his presence in your character and in your life to affect your family because it will affect your family and your children in terms of who they become and what they are. God speaks to our hearts. 
He stands at the door and knocks. He's always reaching out to invitation with man. And in these days, he reaches through his son, Jesus Christ, who came to die for your sins and mine upon the cross. Good dads or better dads with Jesus, who know their sins have been forgiven by Jesus, who say in their heart and life, I will live. My strength will be God. My eternal home will be with God. I want to be the one that leads my children to be with me in heaven. To be with my Father who is in heaven. Is God speaking to your heart today? Is he moving in your life? You're good. But I'll tell you what, you're not good enough. I had to give... Where are you going to spend eternity, guys? Your children want to know. I've preached enough funerals with dads whose testimony was weak or maybe none at all. And their children mourn, but they mourn more because they don't know if their dad is going to be with them in heaven. Isn't it time this morning to make it right with Jesus? We ask you to do that. Brother Greg, as you lead us.